sucks, dude, but I'm telling you, it's jobs. We gotta get jobs. Then we get the khakis. Then we get the chicks. Who the fuck said that? Who's a slimy little communist shit twinkle so cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Y'all gone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got episode six. This is your Bright on Film podcast. I realized, of course, after I recorded it last time, I didn't mention what the hell the podcast was and what episode we're on. Well, we're on episode six, and it is the This Is Your Brain on Film podcast. So now we know where we all stand. What's going on, y'all? Day before tax day. I'm sure everyone's pumped about that. That's always an exciting thing to do. Uh, finally back on track, uh, last week I told you it was a little bit, uh, hadn't been a while since I did one, and here we are exactly one week later doing another one, so this is great. Uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit of news this week, of course, go over the box office from the previous week, mention some DVDs coming out, got a couple reviews, one you won't give two flying shits about, and one you might. Uh, I'm gonna start the Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, screened, little early screenings, uh, were in... New York and L.A. Uh, over the weekend, I suppose this past Friday was the date on that. And despite the uh, reviews not being able to go up because uh, of the embargo, studio embargo, uh, they won't be going up until the 21st, uh, one week from today. But the um, reviewers on hand were tweeting out their reactions. And of course, you can find those on most websites because there's nothing else to talk about these days. Um, and they are largely positive, um, suggesting a darker tone from the first one, uh, perhaps going a little bit of the Empire Strikes Back, uh, way, which I think would probably be an interesting, um, comparison, uh, when you consider that, not that they, Marvel was necessarily worried about the first Avengers movie, although they probably were. Uh, but they didn't have quite the plan that they have now. So when you think when that first one came out, they weren't necessarily trying to set up the movies following that. At least they didn't have to. Uh, and then based on its success, they knew they could do, they had pretty much free reign to do as they wished. And they could make, uh, pretty much make the kind of movie they wanted to make. And the uh, initial thought on this one is it's setting up a lot of stuff come up we already know of course marvel's announced its full slate what's going to lead into what so i think probably going to see knowing what the basically what the plot line of uh captain america uh three the civil war what that's going to be uh the um disagreement between captain america and, and government over their monitoring of uh, superheroes and such uh, it's going to start, I'm sure, in this movie, so we're going to see some inklings of this movie. So it's kind of like a feeder movie. Uh, the, uh, this one here, it's going to be, you're going to set up some characters. The character, the, the Black Panther character is supposed to be in this. There's going to be some other uh, characters popping up in uh, Age of Ultron that's going to be uh, fed into their own movies and their own stories. And, of course, some narratives they are going to start here. Much like the, I mean, they, they wove that, the narrative from the first Avengers in there quite a bit. And in the first Avengers, of course, had all the, the narratives from the previous movies start. But they, they've referenced the, the climactic battle in the first Avengers movie in multiple Marvel movies since and in the TV series, too. So 
uh, first initial thoughts on this second one is obviously that it's good. Not the same tone, not quite the fun tone as the first one, a little bit darker, which is fine. I think it could make for a good story regardless. And, uh, you know, setting up the other properties, we'll see what's going to go on. I got two weeks now until I leave for that, uh, the marathon, which is taking place in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's getting kind of exciting, seeing how we're going to prepare for that one. Not sure what we're going to bring, what we can bring into the theater on that. So I will keep you all updated on that. Hopefully we'll get another podcast up next week. Might be able to do one the day uh, we leave for that one. Other than that, it will probably be uh, some writing going on. And I will obviously try to get an early review of uh, Age of Ultron up uh, prior to its premiere on Friday, which I believe is the first, uh, or is that May 1st is the Thursday? I forget now. All my days are all screwed up. Uh, so that's uh, kind of what's going on with uh, Marvel-wise. Actually, that's not everything that's going on Marvel-wise. we got the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, some more bad news for female directors going on here. Um, the director, Michelle McLaren, dropped out over, drumroll please, Creative Differences. What a shock. Uh, that seems to be, if anybody leaves, it's the same circumstances, which, uh, what's the lady who did Thor 2? Uh, do a little Google here. Uh, original director. Uh, who was the lady? I might not be able to find this, honestly. That's not going to be good. No, I don't see it here. I know you can find it, but I'm not doing the red Google search. I'm not going to hold up this podcast to find it. Regardless, there was another lady who was uh, attached to the uh, Thor 2, The Dark World, leftover creative differences. Same thing with Ant-Man. You got the Edgar Wright, who was an awesome choice, obviously, to be doing a Marvel property. He gets the same kind of dismissal. I don't know if that was a mutual thing. It probably was. I'm sure either si- both sides would say it was mutual just for press releases and such. But apparently creative differences fueled that one as well. I, I'd, I'd love to know what actually goes on with these sorts of things and see what the differences could actually be. Uh, Michelle McLaren, she has done some episodes of Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. So she has cut her teeth already. She is a known quantity and she's very good. And what she does. So there's no reason for her not to be on this movie. Don't understand it, but that's how it's got to be. I don't know if Marvel is a very difficult company to deal with, and perhaps they don't like um, independent thinking people. I would imagine they're pretty cl- they hold their properties pretty close to the old uh, 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 chest there. And I, I guess maybe they, they just don't like how people, you know, or that people would be messing with their properties. Which I imagine, if anybody, Edgar Wright would be the person who would want to put his own little spin on something, and God forbid anybody puts any, any kind of original spin on an already, uh, on an already, um, what's the word I'm looking for? On a product that's already out there. My brain's like mush today. Uh, I, got, I was read an interesting article. You know, last week I talked extensively about It Follows. I'd like to think that I gave that a positive review. I don't know what people took from it, but... Believe me, it was a positive review, whether or not you didn't like my, my nitpicks. But uh, over at uh, IndieWire, uh, Paula Bernstein's got an article about uh, we breaking down the success of It Follows and what it means to the, the indie film industry. Because it, it follows a unique uh, sort of pattern that most of these movies don't follow. 
and that it, it, it was it premiered at Cannes last year. So I think Cannes is in May. So it's almost a year ago now that it premiered. And it was supposed to be on uh, on demand, video on demand services, iTunes, Xfinity and such. And for what and obviously it, it had a more successful theatrical run than they were anticipating. And therefore it uh, was it's as stayed in theaters a little bit longer right now. I got the uh, the box office numbers up here. Uh, it came in eighth this week, 1.9 million, playing on 1,600 theaters. Uh, it's grossed 11.7 million so far right now. As of last week, it did not have a budget. Still doesn't have a budget out. But that's since March 13th now, so it's been out for a month now, and it's grossed 11 million dollars. I'm sure that's well over its production budget, or at least it's turned to profit at this point. So the article basically goes into the uh, the circumstances with which this movie has kind of grown in a way that most movies don't grow. Because basically what they're trying to say is that there's windows. They have these windows that are open, and the theater chains want their windows open. And obviously the on-demand services want the windows to close. They want them to be as fresh in the public's you know mind as possible. And I think this one originally had a two-week window. It was going to come out in theaters, obviously a small release. And then it was going to be two weeks later, it was going to appear on On Demand. And that was actually where I had intended on seeing it uh, originally. But then it didn't it didn't come out. I kept checking the On Demand service and it was it kept not showing. And then suddenly it was getting a large release on uh Friday, March 13th. It happens to be a Friday the 13th. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think they talked to uh, the CEO of the Draft House Films, Tim Lee. I mean, I, I mean, of course, it's starting to read this article. When they see, I see I have a, a uh, quote from him, it's obviously going to be a different thinking sort of thing because they, they follow a different uh, attitude when it comes to the way they, they do films at Draft House. But um, as it says uh, at the start of his uh, quote here, in an ideal world, this is not his quote, but starting to quote, strong indie films with a chance of breaking out would begin with a two to four week theatrical window. If they do extremely well, the video on demand and iTunes windows will be pushed back to allow the theatrical revenues to be maximized for awareness of the film to build. At the same time, expansion market cinemas would be willing to pick up the film provided across certain revenue thresholds in its first two weeks of release. The theatrical grosses aren't there. The film would stick to the compressed window strategy or maybe play in those expansion markets with just a few showtimes. I mean, I don't see anything particularly wrong with this. I think shuffling around the video on demand people probably pisses them off a little bit. Giving the theatrical uh, providers a a window, at least to say, at least keep it for two weeks. Uh, instead of saying, well, why don't you mark it down for you know four weeks, and if it doesn't do well, we'll cut it short at two. I don't think they would like that. I think if you give them the shorter window, if you say two or if you say three and say, and then if it doesn't hit this mark, we'll just go ahead and shove it off the video on demand. Or uh, apparently the, the way they do it now is obviously they offer these movies, some of these movies at the same time or at a similar time. Obviously the big movies don't get the same day release on video on demand, but they offer them at a premium price. I mean, I've seen some of these movies for nineteen ninety nine on Xfinity on demand. So it's they're not charging a low price for it. I mean, it's almost like buying the thing. Uh, so it's there's an interesting little debate to go on there, and, it, and it's an interesting movie to do it because I mean it's a horror movie and it's the perfect kind of movie to do it with. I'd be interested to see what happened with uh, the kind of the 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 chart 
of how the Babadook went. That's another. That's one that came out today. I'm going to mention later. Came out on DVD just today. But that was all over the place. I mean, it was in theaters. It was on video on demand at the same time. And now it hasn't been on anything. And then it was. It's now it's out on DVD. I mean, it's taken so long for that movie to kind of work its way through the system. I'd be interested to see what kind of numbers that went. I wonder if I could find that. Uh, Box office mojo here. So, gross, release date November 28th, 2014, uh, worldwide 4.8 million, no production budget on this one, and it grossed domestically $950,000, it couldn't even come up with a million dollars here, so obviously they short sold that one, despite, I mean, similar reviews, I mean, It Follows got largely good reviews, uh, for it's a different kind of movie, from what I'm told. I haven't watched the Babadook yet, but I will be, and I think that's come out actually on Netflix streaming already today. So that's an interesting thing too for it to come out instantly on Netflix and on DVD the same day. So this one really has a strange trajectory. I'd be interested to kind of track this one down and do a little more uh, research on it. And maybe have something for you next week if I get to do it. But yeah, this one is uh, an interesting deal. I'd be interested to see how that one um was released or at least see what the the their studio the the distributor had to say about that one but regardless uh so there is some debate obviously there's always debate going on these days about what's going to be what with time frames with movies and on-demand services and whatnot so i will try to put a link to that article uh on my on the blog here uh, if I just get a chance to give a little write-up on that, I will try to put that up there. If anybody's interested in the in the article, it's interesting. They kind of do it in a uh, FAQ sort of sort of way where they ask themselves questions, which is always funny. So that's kind of it for the news. Uh, watched a couple of movies this week. Uh, watched Big Hero Six. Gonna get to that one here shortly. Let me take a little sip of my beverage here, if you don't mind. Delicious. I'm going to start with a movie nobody will give two shits about, or if you're into movies, as I hope you would be listening to this podcast, at least give me a moment to talk about it, see if I can buy your attention. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Two or Three Things I Know About Her, which is, it's, I've seen it, I've seen it on my list on Hulu Plus six million times, because it's, if you look through the alphabetic list, it's obviously like the second movie that you can even look at. So I've seen it there a bunch of times, and I've seen a, a, a number of Godard movies. Let me see what we got here. Let me do a quick uh, quick IMDb of Godard. Of course, this is ultra-pretentious. How many Godard movies have I seen? Uh, Jean-Luc, which I never remember where the hell. I don't even start. Did you hear that ad? That's great. Isn't that nice when IMDb does? gives you the ad? Don't even start with the ads of me. IMDb, I'll kill you. Okay. Uh, let's see. So starting way back when, of course, I've watched... Oh, really? We're going to give me this? Oh, my Lord. Are you kidding me? What a joke. All right. So thanks for the ads. Really appreciate that, IMDb. I mean, seriously, we're still doing that nonsense. Little bitty video ads that I didn't even press play on. All right. Rant over. All right. So he has been quite 
busy these days, but let's go back to the old days. All right, so Breathless, uh, his obvious uh, wonderful opener to his first, I should say, full-length film that he's ever done. Uh, he did a couple of shorts before that. A documentary short. Uh, let's see, B vs. V. Not sure if that's how that's pronounced, but I've seen that. A Woman is a Woman. Uh, that's out of order. Contempt, Band of Outsiders, Alphaville. Um, now two or three things I know about her. The uh, Weekend. Some of the older ones, some of his, his new wave stuff. Uh, there was another one. Where is that movie? Uh, is that, isn't that Le Carboniers? Wasn't that his movie? I'm bringing this thing to a grinding halt. Whatever the case may be, I don't see it here. Um, so yeah, he's done some stuff recently, and I there's one that just came out today uh, on DVD that it would be worth uh, mentioning here, and I'll bring it up. But uh, very French New Wave film, this one. Um, two or three things I know about her. It's called. It is a very short movie, hour and twenty seven minutes, kind of uh, breezes on by. And let me get the main outsider. God forbid I'm actually uh, ready for this thing. Made in 1967. Many elements. The Vietnam War is very present in this. There's a lot of talk of communism and such. There's bits where they listen to uh, uh, President Johnson talk about the war. Uh, Listen to that on the radio, which is interesting. Uh, One of the characters in the movie... Later on, small part is a is a war photographer who's uh, in Sa- who is in Saigon, but he's now in Paris. Um, basically, the movie is uh, a strange little day in the life of this woman uh, named named Juliette, uh, play, played by uh, Marina Vladi. She is it's is an interesting introduction to it, but basically breaking down the movie. She is a housewife and mother, and she is a prostitute during the day. She drops her kid off, her, her two kids. She has two kids. One goes to school and one is younger. Um, drops her kid off in the morning, goes and goes about her day, gets her nails done and such, and uh, is also a prostitute. So, but, I mean, to, to say that that's the movie is definitely not telling the whole story of the thing. So you get so when it says her, the reference to her in the title is both to the character and to the actress because you see both sides of her. The introduction to it, you get, there's a voiceover, there's a whispering voiceover, just very strange and creepily soothing voiceover in this movie. That uh, I'd be interested to see who the narrator was. I don't believe they say there. It is. Oh, it's it's Godard. I thought it might have been Godard. Uh, but he is the narrator of the movie, the whispering voice, and she is introduced as first her character's name uh, from one side. Uh, she is described in a certain way as having a certain color hair and dot, dot, dot. And then it, she is shown from the other side as the same thing by her actual name. So basically, we're going to be looking at the person and a character, which is obviously is an interesting way of doing things, and that's Godard through and through it's extremely new wave this movie now i'm doing a little write-up on this movie right now and of course it's getting a bit didactic but 
uh, to say uh, a very new wave. Not everybody knows what the French new wave is. Uh, it was several directors who basically uh, got together uh, film enthusiasts in the 60s. It's, you know, it's Jean-Luc Godard, Francois Truffaut, Eric Romer, um, Claude Chabral, uh, and the, the, the theorist and critic uh, André Bazin, uh, who basically wanted to rework what cinema could do. And basically their idea behind it is to break as many rules as possible because it says just as much in breaking the rules. It says more, I would, uh, they would probably argue, and I would probably argue too, in breaking the rules than it does in following the rules. You can say more in that way. And chief amongst their goals is to basically draw the viewer out of the movie. So you know that when people talk about that, they like to get lost in a movie. They go to the movies to escape real life. They go to the movies to get uh, to be whisked away you know, to whatever land it is they want to be whisked away to, Oz or, you know, um, Middle Earth or whatever the case may be. These people, these filmmakers would actively avoid that at all costs. And there's actually a number of ways that they do that, whether or not you know that they're doing it or not. Um, A lot of the techniques, they would call them self-reflexive, basically making the viewer aware that you're watching a movie. When you watch their movies, you know that you are watching a movie, and they make sure you know it. I mean, one of the easy little tactics they do is you're watching a scene, and then you'll have uh, an, an intertitle cut in in the middle of it, and it'll like separate the movie into chapters. So instead of just going scene to scene to scene where your brain just kind of going along with the story, it'll break the story. It'll snap the story and edit in this intertitle and say, you know, chapter three, you know, this person does this whatever the case may be. And then boom, it takes you, you stop the narrative, stops the story, tells you, oh, oh, we're, we're, that's right, I'm watching a story. And then it cuts back to the movie, One way, which is one of their, it's, I'd say, more simple ways of doing things. They, they break all kinds of rules with cameras. There's the 180 degree rule that no nothing should be around. There's 180 degree, like a, a fake uh, line, a fake arc that the camera is not supposed to go across because it, it disorients uh, the viewer when they cross the 180 degree line. So that's another one of the ways they would do that. Um, this movie employs a lot of uh, speaking to the camera. In other words, the the actors will be, I should say the character will be going about their daily business. And then in the middle of a sentence, they might turn to camera and answer a question that's been posed to them by, I mean, you presume Godard standing behind the camera. You don't hear the voice, but you presume that he's asking a question and then they answer it. At least that's the way it comes across. I mean, I don't know if it was... This movie has been supposedly said that it was a, a lot of improvisation, and I don't doubt it. They turn to camera and answer a question. And a lot of these are very existential questions, which is another thing that New Wave is very well known for. Now, I mean, in doing this sort of thing, so they're asking a question, they're, they're breaking up the, the narrative. People are obviously... This is another way of them to say don't get sucked into the story don't forget you're watching a movie and we want to we want to say something to you don't just get lost in what we're doing don't forget what we're saying we have things we want to say and want you to think about it instead of just turning your brain off and getting lost in the movie which is i i mean i love these kind of movies i haven't watched something like this in a long time and i I loved every second of it but if you wanted to say it broke down into any one thing it would be I think it's a dissection of language and what we what language is and people think about it or don't think about it, but why it is we use language the way we use it and 
there's several instances where they have discussions about language and uh, semiotics, basically, which is the study of like symbols. Uh, I mean, which that's what movies are. I mean, there's symbols. You you equate them to a language. You know, movies have its own language. You know, an image means something in your brain. They just put the image up and boom, you immediately think of something. That's semiotics. So they talk about um, there's a there's a point in the movie where uh, they discuss uh, color. Uh, it's another one of those moments where a girl's walking through the main character is walking through a clothing store and she picks up a sweater and the sweater is a color and without hearing the question she goes because it's green because it it's, we know it's green then you hear how do you know it's not blue or why why is it not blue and why isn't it blue because blue is a word that we've assigned to the color that we call blue it's that color that we that we call blue isn't blue it that's just the word we assign to that color it's the same thing with the color green it doesn't mean that that's green it just means that's the word we've assigned to it there's another part later in the movie where uh two characters two strangers are having a conversation and the there's a man who's asking a woman he says he likes talking to strangers and he asks her to say something uh, it's, it's she asks, he starts to talk to her about sex and she doesn't necessarily want to talk about sex. And he says, why are you afraid? She says, I'm not afraid. And he says he wants her to say something. And she says, well, I, you know, I'll say it. it depends on what it is. So he says, I want you to say my sex organs are between my thighs. And which, of course, she scoffs at and she won't say it. Not that she she looks super uncomfortable about it, but she won't say it. And his response is, why not? They're just words. They're just words. We assign meaning to these words. We as a, as a human people have assigned meaning to the words. It has nothing to do with what the words actually mean. It's we say it, and it makes we've made ourselves uncomfortable by assigning what we these symbols to these words. Uh, it's the same thing. She asks him later, um, "What did you do all day today?" And he says, "I was at the garage." And she goes, "How do you know it's a garage? What if it's a pool? What if it's what? Why isn't it a pool?" And he says, "It's true." So basically, it's a play on what what we use as symbols and words. Um, I forgot to mention there's some great throughout the movie. There's these great intercutting moments where there there's this highway construction scene, and you've got these loud machines and noisy construction going on, and then it, it cuts to the silence. These these dialectical cuts that make you super hyper aware of the editing in the movies. And it's another thing. It's another way that the French New Wave uh, would make you aware that you're watching a movie and that they would edit they would show their edits they want you to see their edits they want you to know that they just cut it's such a drastic cuts from the super noisy scene to the super peaceful one and then it'll cut back to the super noisy one and then we cut back to the narrative so it's three different places all of none of them have anything to do with any of them except to show you that we're cutting in and out and they're showing you this world and they don't want you just to get lost in the world to show you there's different parts of the world and by the way they're editing they're showing you the editing so you get you kind of stay on the outside of the movie so you can actively participate in what's happening in the movie instead of being immersed in the story, which I, I, it, I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I only say this because not everybody would notice it. They would say, what are they, why are we seeing this? Why are we noticing these? Or why are they showing us these scenes of a construction? There is no, no part of this narrative has anything to do with the construction. The, the opening narration goes over it a little bit, but it, there's nothing, has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. So I think... If anybody ever planned on watching this movie, 
uh, it would be important for you to at least have these things in your head when you're watching it instead of being like, what the hell am I watching this for? Because if you watch it just for the narrative, there isn't more than maybe 20 minutes of actual narrative to this movie of a story. I mean, basically, she gets up, she drops the kid off, she goes clothes shopping, she might meet somebody for lunch or a drink or something. She goes with her friend, has uh, has sex with the guy, uh, and goes home, picks up her kid, and goes home. And that's basically the narrative. That's it. That would be all you'd get. And there's so little in between there. I mean, there, there's so little you know going on with her there that if you're, you get lost with these conversations and some of these other elements of the movie, you'd get kind of stuck with it. So I thought it was great. It's a, it, another reason to watch Godard. Sometimes I get lost with him a little bit. But this one was a good one. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. And having the knowledge, the, the previous knowledge, having learned some of that with some of the classes I've taken, made it for a much better thing. I'm going to try to have my review up, uh, or at least some thoughts on it. I don't know if it's going to be a review. I don't know what the hell I can say about this movie that hasn't been said before. Um, but I'm going to have some thoughts up. So if anybody actually uh, is interested in what's going on uh, with this movie and maybe a little bit of film history and some of the movements and whatnot, this, this can be a little bit of nonsense in there. A little bit of my business. All right, so we're going to cut from that nonsense, and we're going to go to uh, Big Hero 6. I have not had a chance to write anything about this. I barely had any thought about it. Let me take one more sip of my beverage here. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, your Best Picture winner, or for Best Animated Film winner, not Best Picture. Best Animated Picture. Good one. Uh Kind of caught me off guard a little bit. It was a Marvel property. I don't think I did not know that. I might have heard that when it was released in theaters, but it just came out a little bit ago on Blu-ray. Uh, great. I mean, it, I don't know what to say about it that really ha probably hasn't been said. It's kind of your fairly predictable story. Uh, I thought it was really funny, honestly. It was one of the funnier ones I've seen. Uh, I, they, this movie was in competition with How to Train Your Dragon 2. Uh, you know, another fairly predictable movie that I, I enjoyed as well. Not sure, you know, which one I would pick over one or the other. I, I don't have any problem with Big Hero 6 winning, but I do think it was great. It's super funny. Enjoyable movie. Uh, good characters. Nice uh, nice little mixture. And they finally uh, have kind of a uh, ethnically mixed character here. Uh, a lot of Japanese influence in this one, which I, I, I do like. I like Japanese culture, so I like that this is infused with a lot of Japanese uh, culture. Uh, the, the main uh, location is San Francisco. I guess the basic story of the movie. Uh, kid is a science whiz, you know, good with the technology and whatnot. We're in the, we're in the future here where San Francisco is a city. And they, uh, the kid kind of is stuck doing some, I guess, fairly useless things, doing bot fighting. Uh, his brother convinces him to go to school to come up with he has to try to uh, come up with the new technology so he can convince the dean of this school to let him in to the school that his brother goes to. He's young. He's kind of a prodigy. He's like 13, 14 years old, something like that, uh, which he does. But uh, spoiler alert, if you don't want to watch it or if you don't want to listen, if you do want to watch it, uh, spoiler alert right here. Uh, you see it coming a mile away, but it, it could still be a spoiler for some. Uh, his brother dies. His one inspiration of the movie, you do notice that coming, but his brother had created this this healthcare robot, this healthcare assistant robot uh, by the name of Baymax, and that's kind of your robot of the movie. Uh, and he winds up, you know, making buddies with it naturally, and, you know, it's everything as you expect. And there winds up being a bad guy who has stolen his technology that he came up with early in the movie. 
and he has to find out who this person is and what he's doing with the stuff and you know dot 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 you know the whole it's a superhero movie so it's it's basically that whole bit and that's that's basically your movie you know you have a pretty good idea how that's going to work there's five other or four others yeah there's four others um that were friends of his brother it might be five good lord well it's big hero six so i guess it's the kid and the robot and then four others so four others who are buddies who were friends of his brother too that help him out and they're all scientists and dot 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 and they don't you know they're not really superheroes but he gives them all these different powers because he has the technology to do this sort of thing the kid's a whiz so it's it's fun it's actually really funny um fairly adorable really that that robot is pretty damn cute so uh the kids i would imagine kids would like it quite a bit i don't know about young kids the 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 main villain's a little creepy but not too bad we enjoyed it here in this household so i imagine other people would too and that is pretty much what we got let's do a quick look here i gotta go here in a few minutes so let me take a look like i said um new release today the babadook came out today um the tim burton movie big eyes with amy adams christoph waltz i did not get a look at that one don't know what that's all about uh you got two criterion movies came out today sullivan's travels a preston sturgis movie i like his stuff a little bit so i wouldn't mind checking that out which a veronica lake movie i've never seen her in a movie uh odd man out carol reed's movie and i enjoy his work in the third man it's one of my favorite movies ever so I should give that one a look-see as well. Uh, David Cronenberg's Map to the Stars came out today, the ever divisive David Cronenberg. And I would like to mention, of course, the Jean-Luc Godard's movie, Goodbye to Language, which some of your more pretentious critics put as their top film of last year. It's a 3D movie, which makes it really annoying to have to see. But, of course, it's called Goodbye to Language. This The man was obviously obsessed with language in, in a certain way, film language as well as uh, spoken language. So that would be interesting to check out, but I guess you have to have a 3D TV in order to check it because it's meant for 3D. So, you know, take that for what you will. Uh, that's kind of that. Let's see the box office grosses where I know Furious 7 took it once again. Um God forbid this thing goes back to where I want to go. Yep. Furious 7, 59.5 million. Ridiculous. I mean, it's a drop of almost 60%, but still, when you made 140-something million dollars in the first weekend, it's still $60 million. Uh, and they added 18 theaters to that one. Who, who wasn't screening that one last week? I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, home up to... <coughs> excuse me. Made another 18.5 million. The only big debut to make the list, uh, The Longest Ride, $13 million. I think that's a Nicholas Sparks movie. Not sure who in the Lord's name would watch that. Yep. Yep, that was, that's what that is. Again, not sure. Well, stupid website. A way to go box office mojo. Okay. Um, yeah, other than that, not much going on there. Ex Machina which is what I want to see. God forbid that's showing anywhere nearby. It's probably going to get that same Babadook thing. But four screens, $250,000. I'm hoping that one gets released uh, wide at some point because that's the next one I would like to see. Uh, it's the only thing between now and uh, Avengers 2 that's coming out that seems like it's worth a damn. So that's pretty much it. 
coming up this week, I don't think is anything really particularly great. The 17th comes Paul Blart 2, exactly nothing worth talking about. So, yeah, not much to speak about here, folks. Again, that's pretty much it for the episode. I got to run. Uh, I'm going to try to have a write-up on that IndieWire article uh, with a link to that. I'm also going to try to get something written up or at least finish up my write-up on two or three things I know about her in case you're interested in that. I doubt I'll get anything about Big Hero 6 up. Not much to say there, but it's worth checking out. It's definitely a fun movie to watch. Uh, that's pretty much it for today. I don't have a song queued up at the moment, so I'm going to tack it on at the end here. And whatever the case may be, I hope it is. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you all next week. Take care. Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? Yeah.